Revelation then, chapter 1. Let's hear the word of God once again. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, to all things that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler over the kings of the earth. To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with clouds and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos, for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet, saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book, send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet, and girded about the chest with a gold band. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun, shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. Write the things which you have seen, and the things which, you, which are, and the things which will take place after this. The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. Let's pray. 
Lord, your word says, blessed are those who hear the words of this prophecy and hear them and who obey your word. Keep those things which are written. We pray that we may be those kind of people again this night. Lord, we ask that by your spirit, you would teach us more and more of the glory and the majesty of our Lord Jesus Christ and our right response to you. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Some years before this vision that John had on the Isle of Patmos, he had written in the gospel that he wrote that the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John, no doubt, would have remembered that day when Jesus was transfigured before Peter, John, and James. And they saw Elijah and Moses and the Lord Jesus Christ transfigured before them. His clothes became glowing white as light. And suddenly that voice they heard, This is my beloved Son, whom I love. Hear him. And we are told in Matthew 17 that the three of them, Peter, James and John, fell on their faces, overtaken by fear. Now John and the others had seen the risen Christ on a number of different occasions. They had seen him ascend into heaven when the cloud received him out of their sight. But the last time John had actually seen Jesus was 50, 60 years before this. And now he is on the island of Patmos. And I want us to look this evening at the impact that this vision of the majestic, glorious Christ had upon John and how that same Christ reassured his servant and equipped him then to be the man he needed to be in order to write the rest of the visions that were given to him of Christ. So let us look then, first of all, at the impact of this vision of the Lord Jesus Christ on John. We're told that it almost destroyed him. He didn't fall down out of respect. He wasn't overcome with joy. When, he, we, when I saw him, says John in verse 17, I fell at his feet as dead. John was totally overwhelmed by this vision that he had had. It made a tremendous physical and emotional impact upon him. It was an awesome sight. It filled him with dread. It filled him with fear. He was shocked. He was shaken. And he fell down as one dead. Had you have been there, there was no way we could have been, but had you have been there, that's the conclusion he would have drawn. He was in a heap on the floor he had collapsed and was as good as dead 
Now, John was not alone in that kind of experience. We could have uh, an account of the similar impact made on men like Abraham, Moses, Elijah, Job, Saul of Tarsus on the Damascus Road. Let me just focus on one or two. Let's go back to Daniel. We mentioned him this morning. And again, in Daniel chapter 10, we did read it, but I didn't draw a great deal of attention to it this morning. But Daniel chapter 10, verses 8 and 9. Therefore I was left alone when I saw this great vision. No strength remained in me, for my vigor was turned to frailty in me. I retained no strength. Yet I heard the sound of his words, and while I heard the sound of his words, I was in a deep sleep, on my face, with my face to the ground. It overwhelmed Daniel. The same is true of the prophet Ezekiel. Ezekiel saw visions of the glory of God. In Ezekiel in chapter 1 and verse 28, we read this. I have the wrong verse. Is it 228? Well, Ezekiel saw the likeness of the glory of God, and he fell down like Daniel with his face to the ground. Isaiah was very similar. In Isaiah chapter 6, he has this vision, and we're told it is a vision of the Lord Jesus Christ not in Isaiah but John himself in chapter 12 and verse 41 tells us that he saw the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ and what was Isaiah's reaction we're told in the year King Isaiah died I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up the train of his robe filled the temple above it stood seraphim each one had six wings with two he covered his face with two he covered his feet and with two he flew. One cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried. And the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me. I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So John is not alone in this experience. The unveiling of the risen, ascended Lord, after all those years, having known him on earth, he is left there on the ground like a dead man. Some people in our day and age talk about being slain in the spirit. Uh, perhaps we can say John was, although that is not the phrase that is used here. There's no indication of that. Whatever this experience was, it was not pleasant. It was devastating. It almost destroyed him. It undid him. It unhinged him. It was a shock to his whole system. And we need to take stock here. Now, we've never seen the Lord in 
his essential glory as John did. One day we will. But do you see something of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, this one who is like the Son of Man, this one who is seated in glory and in majesty? Do you see something of his glory? And does it make an impact upon you? You say, well, he is the friend of sinners. And he said, you are my friends, if you do whatsoever I command you. But this friend is awesome in his majesty, in his purity, in his power, in his authority. He walks among his people. Today, there is a great tendency to lower our view and our perspective upon the Lord Jesus Christ. People go along to church simply for a spiritual lift up, a top up. Christ is trivialized. So for some people, he's not much bigger than we are. I read an advert yesterday, it shocked me. A church was advertising for a leader who would lead what they termed relaxed and informal worship. Very strange phrase. How can you be relaxed and informal in the presence of such a person as Jesus Christ, portrayed here in Revelation chapter 1? John is on the floor dead, as good as. He's just overwhelmed. It's too much for flesh and blood. If Jesus Christ appeared to us in his glory, we'd be there on the floor with John. But when you see something of the glory of Christ, you realize, like Isaiah did, something of your own guilt, something of your own sin, your own uncleanness, your own unworthiness. To stand in the presence of this Jesus is too much for us. Until we've seen something of the glory of Christ, we've never seen him really at all. Yet it is the same Christ who, as we read and repeated what I said this morning, he is the one who has loved us and has washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. And it is only because we are washed clean by the blood of Christ, that we can stand in any sense in the presence of God, in the presence of Jesus Christ. When will we see Christ in his glory? Would we be so bowled over and overwhelmed, almost destroyed? Well, 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. But when our body is transformed and made like the glorious body of the Lord Jesus Christ, and when sin has been purged from us in its entirety, then we will be able to see Christ in his glory. We shall be like him, we shall see him as he is. But I still think it will be an overwhelming sight. Even now, this 
John, who was the one who was closest to the Lord Jesus Christ on earth. He was the one who leaned on the bosom of Christ at that feast. He could not look at the exalted Lord of glory and not be afraid. But before we leave this and move on to see how Christ responded to him, there's one observation I'd like to mention. It's not mine, it's the observation that Joel Beakey makes in his commentary on Revelation. He says, John's response at this point, the impact that Christ makes on this point, is very different to that of an unbeliever. This is an apostle of Christ. This is one who is a friend of Christ. This is one who is a servant of Christ. Do you remember our Lord Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane? Judas and the mob who came with him, the soldiers, the darkness of the night with their lanterns, their torches and their weapons. They approached Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and Jesus says to them, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And his response was, I am. Those two words, I am. And what happened to them? They staggered back and fell in the dust. They retreated. They ran, as it were. They are bowled over in a totally different way. Or again, when the Lord Jesus Christ opens the sixth seal... In Revelation chapter 6, verses 15 and 16. The inhabitants of the world are hiding away in caves and the rocks of the mountains. And they are calling on the mountains and the rocks to fall on them and to hide them from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. It's totally unbearable for them. They must hide away and repel utterly, entirely Jesus Christ in all his glory. But you see, John is different. John is a saint. John is a believer in Christ. He doesn't fall backwards. He doesn't ask the rocks and the hills on Patmos to fall on him in any way, shape or form. He falls as one dead, not because of the wrath of the Lamb, that he dreads he falls down forwards he falls at the feet of jesus he falls as a redeemed washed in the blood of christ a sinner yes he is overwhelmed but he is not destroyed how then does jesus react to him how does he respond to him? Here we see something of the compassion of this majestic and glorious Lord. There is a threefold response by the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's look at that secondly. It's a threefold reassurance to this aged man of God, his apostle, that shows his love and shows his concern. This man in his frailty and in his weakness. First of all, we read, verse 17, he laid his right hand 
on me. He touched him. But it was more than a touch. You can touch someone on the arm, they hardly feel you. The scripture says Jesus Christ laid his hand upon John. He, I can't say he grabbed him, but he got hold of him in such a way that he reassured him. John felt the firm hand of Jesus Christ upon him. He, Jesus, as it were, bent down and touched him. What kindness and what tenderness. Others have and will feel the right hand of Christ in judgment. Because that is usually, the right hand is usually a symbol of the power of God, the power of Christ. But this is not a crushing blow of judgment at all. It is the hand of love and compassion. The same hand that reached out to poor sinners while he was here on earth. Lepers, the paralyzed, even the dead. What condescension. Here is the glorious majestic exalted lord jesus christ but he reaches out to john in his weariness in his weakness in his frailty and in his fear but that is what god is like let me read you an old testament psalm i was been amazed about this psalm for a long long time because it shows precisely what I'm trying to say this evening. In Psalm 113, and incidentally you'll find some reflection on those who were in Sunday school this morning on Hannah's song, but we'll leave that for the bean time. Psalm 113, verse 4. The Lord is high above all nations. His glory above the heavens who is like the Lord our God who dwells on high, who humbles himself to behold the things that are in the heavens and in the earth. He raises the poor out of the dust. He lifts the needy out of the ash heap, that he may seat him with princes, with the princes of his people. He grants the barren woman a home like a joyful mother of children. His glory is above the heavens, yet he reaches down to the poor and the needy. That's God. That's Jesus Christ. But secondly, we see not only did he lay his hand upon him, he banished John's fears. What were his first words to this man? Having laid his hand upon him, he said, do not be afraid. That was the voice that he had heard, and it was like a sound of mighty waters. I don't think it was the same tone, the same volume now. This was a, a reassuring, firm voice. Do not be afraid. No less authority, but not a word that would have deafened him. And these were familiar words to John. He'd heard these words before, had he not? Do not be afraid. When the storm threatened all of those on the boat, 
the Sea of Galilee. They heard words about, do not be afraid. On the Mount of Transfiguration, they fall on their faces. They're greatly afraid. But he touched them and said, arise and do not be afraid. They were the same words of the women on the morning of the resurrection when they saw the risen Christ and they reported to John and the others the first words of Jesus were don't be afraid don't be afraid and those would have been reported back to John and these words apply not just to John but they apply to each and every one of us they apply to all who suffer for the sake of Christ those who endure hardship for the sake of the gospel, those who are discouraged, those who are downcast. You may be dragging your feet, you may grow weary in well-doing. Your sins may, you feel, are overwhelming you and almost, you're caught up and they're almost flooding you and overtaking your head and you're drowning and you're weary. Satan may be hammering you you're tempted, you're tossed to and fro. And the Lord Jesus Christ says to you this evening, tenderly, do not be afraid. I'm here, I am with you. He lays his hand upon us and says, do not be afraid. Why does he do that? Because he loves you. Because you're precious to him. Because he shed his blood for you. And because he's made you a king and a priest to serve his God. But you can't serve him if you're scared stiff. You can't, scare him. You can't serve him if you're lying in a heap on the ground, overwhelmed. And then we see another response of the Lord Jesus Christ. He reminds John who he is do not be afraid I am the first and the last I am he who lives and was dead and behold I am alive forevermore amen and I have the keys of Hades and of death these are reassuring words as Christ identifies himself we saw that this morning i want to look a little more closely at what the lord jesus christ is actually saying here to john as he reassures him as he comforts him as he consoles him as he equips him you see the next instruction is go and write these things which you have seen and the things which you are and the things which will take place after this he speaks then to revive him to encourage him John's task has only just begun. But his immediate word is, I am the first and the last. I am the Alpha and the Omega. As we said this morning, Alpha, the first letter in the Hebrew. In the, Hebrew. In the Greek alphabet, Omega is the last word in the alphabet. John is to know that Jesus Christ stands before him as the one who is the creator of the heavens and the earth. He was before all things and he brought all things into existence by the word of his power. 
He is the beginning of things. But he is also at the end of history, the judge and redeemer who controls all events that are going on in history, all the affairs of the nations. And he's doing so on behalf of defending and protecting and bringing his church home to glory. Jesus Christ is the one who has all power over principalities. In Ephesians chapter 1, when Christ was raised from the dead, verse 20, seated at the right hand in the heavenly places, he was put far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. He put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And when Jesus speaks of himself as the first and the last, this is what he is referring to, his all-encompassing authority and power over all things that are happening in this world. What a reassurance to this man. He's fallen down as one dead. He's scared stiff. And then this reassuring voice, I'm the first and the last. And more and more, I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Jesus Christ, we are told in chapter 1 and verse 7, sorry, verse 5, he is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead. The firstborn from the dead. He is risen, he is alive, and he is ruler over the kings of the earth. All doubting Thomases, take note. Take note. Thomas, you remember. He wasn't there when Jesus appeared to the other disciples in the upper room. And that phrase has come down with us over 2,000 years, doubting Thomas. Do you really believe that Jesus Christ has been risen, has been raised from the dead, and that he's alive now? He is the ruler of this world now. He is the ruler of this church and every church that is truly his now. He has power. He has authority. Last week we were looking at John chapter 10. I am the good shepherd who's laid down my life for the sheep. I have power to lay down my life. I have power to take it up again. And then those reassuring words in John chapter 10 and verses 28 and 29. He's given us eternal life. And we will never perish. No one will be able to snatch us out of our, our, our Saviour's hands. No one will be able to snatch us out of his Father's hand. We are safe. We are secure. This is the risen Christ. All authority and power has been given to him in heaven and on earth. This is the one who speaks and reassures John. This same Christ is the one who's begun a work of salvation in you. And Paul says in Philippians 1.6, he will bring that work to completion in the day of Christ. 
He guides you. He protects you. He guides his churches. He protects his church. He protects every individual saint. Fear not, he says. Fear not. Satan is held in check. John Bunyan captured that brilliantly in Pilgrim's Progress. Satan can roar, but he's on a leash. He's on a leash. And he can stretch only so far. It's like a dog on the lead. You hold your dog, you can't go any further. You've got it on the lead. Satan is on a leash. He cannot harm you. He cannot destroy you. He is the one who has the power of death. And what does Jesus say? I have the keys of Hades and of death. Hades here is not Gehenna. Gehenna is hell. The place of everlasting punishment. Hades is the grave, the realm of the dead. And Jesus is saying, I have power over the realm of death. Here you are, John, you're, you're as good as dead. But no, fear not. I've got the keys of Hades. And I've got the keys of death. You're not going to die. And when you do come to the end of your life, you're not going to be separated from me. I have power over the whole realm of death. He's reassuring John, because John knew, as we know, in Adam, all die. The wages of sin is death. Death is a threat. It's the king of terrors. That's how Job referred to it. And death, if if anything instills fear into us, it is the fear of death. People don't want to talk about it. They're frightened of it. They have no answer to it. But we have an answer. Christ has the keys of hell, of, of, of Hades and of death. Remember what he said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will never die. Never die. The one who has the keys of Hades and of death In Revelation chapter 21, when John sees the vision, the new heaven and the new earth, the first earth has passed away, there's no sea. I, John, saw the holy city, new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And he will dwell with them and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And then notice what he says in verse 4. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. That is because he has the keys of Hades and of death. It means he can lock and unlock the door as he will. If you have keys, you have authority. 
And that's what Christ has. He will unlock that door. When your body has been laid in the grave, if you are a saint of God, your body will be laid in the grave and he will unlock that door and give you a new and glorious body like that of his own. You will come out of your graves, be united with your spirit and you will reign with Christ forever. In a world where there is no sin, no death, no sorrow, how different it will be to what we experience here. But this is Jesus. This is this glorious, majestic Saviour, the great Messiah, reaching down in compassion and in love to one who is totally overwhelmed and saying, John, do not be afraid. I am your Redeemer. I'm the one who's alive. I'm the one who has the keys. You have no reason to fear. He's saying to you, child of God, son of God, daughter of God, he's saying to you, don't be afraid. We have no reason to be afraid, even of death itself. We're inclined to crumble so often because of what we experience in this life. I close with a few words from John Calvin. It's a sermon that he preached on the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he concludes, there is nothing in this world we have to fear. Rather, he says, we should look to our head who is already in heaven and we should say, weak though I am, there is Jesus Christ who is powerful enough to keep me on my feet. Frail though I am, there is Jesus Christ, who is my strength. Full of misery though I am, there is Jesus Christ in immortal glory. All that he has, he will give me forever. And I will share in all his blessings. May we know that as we look to Christ. Despite our weakness and despite our frailty, and despite the misery that remains because of our remaining sin. May Christ draw near to us again then this night with these tender words saying to us, don't be afraid. Trust in me. Amen.